putting that book up on the shelf was a good place for me. Everything's still there. I'm not, I'm not forgetting the past. I'm not forgetting the history. It's still there. And if I want, I can pull it back down and I can go back to those chapters and I can read them and cry over them and whatever. But the better place for me is to put the book back on the shelf and to write the next chapter. Because for me, the best chapters of my life have been written in the last six months. Those are the chapters that make me happy and that make me know I'm in the right place. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, hello, folks. That was the voice of Suzanne R. from Maryland that you heard at the beginning of this episode and more about her in just a moment. But welcome back to another episode of Sober Speak. Once again, my name is John M. I am so happy that I have met so many of you uh, through your emails, through your Facebook posts, through your Instagram messages. Uh, I'm so happy that you have let me join in with you and be a small part of your recovery and just a small part of your life. It fills me up to no end. I love that I get to have this uh, dialogue with all of you. It truly fills a void in my heart that I did not even know existed within me until I began this podcast. And so once again, thank you for letting me be part of your life. And I know that you have so, so many extra things that you could do with your time uh, besides listening in to me and the speakers that I bring on this podcast, but I'm so appreciative that you do take time out of your schedule to spend it with us. And I, I hope that we add value to your life. All right, I want to talk a little bit about the last two episodes. Um, the episode right before this was called Ricky R. Uh, I did what they told me to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. Ricky describes what it's like growing up in an alcoholic family the repercussions of his drinking, and how he tried to do plain abstinence, but it drove him miserable, and that drove him into doing the step work and obtaining recovery. And the episode right before that is called Jerry J., A Texas Lawyer Finds a Way Out. And Jerry J., 
shares his story of recovery, starting with a little entertaining story about the family dog. And he uses that as a parallel for how he came to understand the definition of alcoholism. Now he continues to say how he became sick of himself and how his wife's participation in Al-Anon eventually led him into the program. Jerry's strong relationship with his higher power led him to be a pillar for his family through difficult times. Now, I'm going to turn a corner a little bit here, and it has a little bit something to do with what I read about the previous two episodes. I want to give a shout out to, you know, don't I sound so cool when I say give a shout out to? Uh, Maybe I don't sound that cool, but I I think it makes me sound pretty cool. But I want to give a shout out to Bridget. Okay, Uh, as I've talked about on this uh, podcast before, there are several people who help me out. I have my wife. I have uh, uh, an Al-Anon friend, Cassandra. I have my friend, Jim. I even have my buddy, Doug, who recorded the music that you hear at the beginning of all these episodes. Uh, And I've never talked about this, but at, at my request, Doug came over to my house one day, broke out his guitar and made something up on the spot. Uh, He is musically talented beyond belief, and he just came up with something literally on the spot. I wish that I had talent like that, uh, musically speaking, but I do not. Not only did he record the music for the podcast when he was over here visiting with me, but we were able to have a very deep and meaningful conversation, which I will always remember uh, while he was visiting. Uh, And so uh, Doug made that, uh, uh, and Cassandra said to me back in the beginning, you know, it takes a village, and she's right, it truly does. Uh, This is a we program. And so Bridget reached out to me, this is what I'm getting to, Bridget reached out to me, and she said, John, is there anything I can help with? And she lives in Mexico. So her and her husband did one of those things that you see like on HGTV, uh, you know, they they gave up their life uh, and comfort and the hustle and bustle of life in America. I believe it was uh, upstate New York. And uh, they went to seek a more laid back lifestyle. And so they moved down to Mexico and uh, she reached out to me and she said, you know, um, they were, uh, they have meetings down there, but she was looking for something to be kind of more, I guess, involved in the program. And so one of the things that I was always missing was was a description of the episodes that we could place in the show notes. And um, Bridget, God bless her, has been creating those summaries, and I absolutely love it. In fact, when you heard me reading the description of the two previous episodes, it was basically a summary of Bridget's summaries. And so I just want to give a shout out to her and all the folks that are involved in this. And once again, all the guests who come in here and sit with me and give up their time. Uh, And I know I'm probably going to be leaving someone out here and I apologize if I do, but uh, uh, I'm just, I'm thankful from the bottom of my heart that you guys uh, pitch in and that you're able to, to, to help me out. I sure do appreciate it. 
Um, in fact, I am going to be including the synopsis that Bridget creates uh, in each of the episodes for the emails that I keep sending out. By the way, if you're not on my email list and you would like to be, or you want to be in our secret Facebook group, uh, send your email address to me to John, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com and we'll make sure that you never miss an episode again. And who would want to miss an episode of Sober Speak? I mean, really, come on now, right? <laughs> All right, so let's get back to the episode now. Uh, Suzanne, in just a moment, is going to be... Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and ask you, is AA a cult? Well, Suzanne actually grew up in a cult, and you are going to hear her her experience growing up in that environment, and then actually breaking away from the cult, and then ultimately ending up in Alcoholics Anonymous and having to reimagine her relationship with the God of her understanding. It is a fascinating journey, uh, and I know you're going to enjoy this. Suzanne will discuss... The characteristics, the real characteristics of an actual cult. Uh, she's going to talk about her, what she calls God shots that are out of this world. And uh, uh, oh, she just has several of them. And I love that term, God shots. Um, she'll be discussing all the ways that she tried to quit drinking before coming to Alcoholics Anonymous. I know that <laughs> there will be many of you that can relate to that. Uh, she's a, she even has a, a, a joke as she's going through it. One of those, you might be an alcoholic if jokes. By the way, you know, I'm just thinking of that on the spot here. If you have any of those jokes, you might be an alcoholic if uh, jokes. You know, the, like the uh, Jeff Foxworthy, you may be a redneck if jokes. Anyone to send those to me at johnsoverspeak.com. That may not be a bad thing to read on the air. I will leave that to you, my fellow alcoholics and people in recovery and people just cu- curious uh, about being sober. Nonetheless, uh, Suzanne's going to discuss uh, her passion for the newcomer and how she just has a passion about making that newcomer feel welcome and where that came from with her experience in AA. And then my favorite quote throughout the entire episode, it was funny to me, she said that she had heard from somebody else, if God wants you to know something, he will tell your sponsor first. (laughs) So anyway, I absolutely love that. All right. So now I'm going to read a little something that was posted in our secret Facebook group from a gentleman named Peter, and then I'm going to have a little listener feedback on the front end, and then we'll have some listener feedback on the back end. So the Facebook post that came in from Mr. Peter, you know, I was kind of wondering what to put on the front end of the episode this week, and as soon as I read this from Peter, I knew I was going to read this. So thank you, Peter, for posting this in the Facebook group. And it said, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize 
that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. That's beautiful. Follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. And then Peter added after this, this is from page 100 in Alcoholics Anonymous, a daily read and reflection for me. So it's so beautiful. I'm going to read it again. If you don't want to hear it again, just fast forward 30, 45 seconds. But here it is from page 100 in Alcoholics Anonymous. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. And God, that has been the case for me. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. Oh my goodness, that's just beautiful. Uh, and I'm so glad that that's a daily read and reflection for you, Peter, and thank you for sharing it with us. All right, so I'm going to read one piece of listener feedback. This came in on Instagram this week, okay? So I just have to step the stage here. Um, and the lady who wrote in on Instagram, her name is Heather. And Heather wrote in to me, and I had been traveling, and I was in a lot of business meetings, and had just been worn down from the entire day. And I got a notification on my Instagram account. And sometimes I look at these, sometimes I don't. And I just happened to look down, and this was from Heather. And she said, John, thank you for the podcast. I'm recently sober with seven days. Seven days. I'm a single mom. And I work two jobs, so hitting a meeting can be tough. So I'm grateful I found your podcast to help me get by in between. I'm in a tiny town in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, so my group is very small. And it's wonderful to get stories from more people. I've shared your podcast with my group, and I'm excited to hear what they have to say about it and start discussing episodes with them. Thank you again. So I wrote back to her, and I said, Heather, single moms have a special place in my heart as one raised me. And so when I got back to the hotel that night after these meetings, for whatever reason, and this is very hard for me to explain, but I was both, I was anxious for Heather. She doesn't know any of this, right? If she listens to this episode, she's going to know more about this. But I was anxious for Heather. I was uh, praying for Heather. I was uh, a joyful for her that she had found a new way of life. and She was seven days sober. Um, and I just kept thinking, you know, how can we as a community help somebody like Heather? And then right as I was actually praying for her, she reached out to me and she said, Hey, John, step one was a cake. Step two seems impossible. I abandoned a higher power so long ago, and I am truly struggling to understand the difference between a higher power and God. 
I only have a week now, but I'm serious about staying sober. Thank you for reaching out to me. It seems we made each each other's night a little better, brighter. Uh, she's right, uh, because I had told her that I had thanked her for reaching out because it had been a hard day of travel, and we did make each other's night a little brighter. And I volunteered to have somebody reach out to her if she needed a little bit of help. And I have my good friend Megan in my home group, Megan P., uh, and if you haven't listened to her episode, you can find it as well. It's Megan P. I, I don't know off the top of my head which episode is it, but she's the only Megan P. in there. And I asked Megan P. if she would uh, be willing to reach out to her if Heather needed help. And uh, she said yes. And uh, um, uh, so then Heather reached back out to me and she said, Megan reached out to me and she's just wonderful, John. Thank you so much for sending her my way. You are both lifesavers. And uh, and then Megan said to me, she said, Hey, John, I just wanted to follow up. I've been texting with Heather. Heather. She was so happy that I reached out. So thanks for connecting us. It's so cool to connect other alcoholics around the country and to feel useful. I appreciate you thinking of me. And then Heather wrote back to me on Instagram the next day, and she said, Hey, John, I just finished part one of Jimmy D's episodes, and I have to say it resonated with me so deeply. Right off the bat, I connected with him in so many ways. My mother was hit and killed by an 18-wheeler when I was 15. That was a decade ago, but it greatly impacted my life. Just just last year, the father of my then three-month-old child committed suicide. Jimmy D's words are echoing. And if you haven't listened to Jimmy D's episode, I would highly advise that you go back and listen to both of his episodes. And anyway, Heather said, I want to thank both of you from the bottom of my heart for bringing those words to me. I hope I'm not bothering you. And I hope you have a wonderful evening. I'm on my way to my home group now, and I will continue to think of you and Jimmy. So here I am thinking when I get these emails that this is a community, folks, right? I sit here behind this little mic and I record things every once in a while, and I have these wonderful people that come in and lay their hearts out, and they're so vulnerable and they give give us their stories, and um, and then people like Heather write in, and I get to hear their experience, and I get to participate in this thing called recovery with you guys. And then wonderful people like Megan will take time out of their day and reach out to people like Heather, and then Heather will come in here and she'll listen to somebody like Jimmy D and the other speakers that we have on the podcast. And, and we're all doing this together. You know, I have learned so many times over and over that my job is just to do the work. I never know how or why or when it's going to affect somebody else. I can't even predict it. It's way beyond me. I. So I just wanted to share that on the front end because it just, it hit me this week, you know, and, and I get a lot of these and, and, and I get a ton of them, but this one was the right, not the right, but it was the, uh, 
it, it, it was the email or the text or the message actually that I needed at the right time, in the right place, by the right person. God bless you all. Thank you for writing in. And now it is on to Miss Suzanne. Enjoy her episode and we'll have more listener feedback at the end. God bless you. Love you guys. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Miss Suzanne R. in the state of Maryland, MD, as they call it, or as I call it. I'm sure nobody else calls it that, but nonetheless. Uh, welcome, Suzanne. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, give your sobriety date if you choose to do so, please. Sure. I'm Suzanne R. I am from Maryland, as you said. My sobriety date is 10-21-18. So I'm a young newcomer to the program, and I'm so excited to be here and grateful for every day of sobriety. Good. I'm so, I'm, and I am glad you're here as well, Suzanne. So like I said, you live in Maryland. So let's kind of backtrack a little bit. Have you always lived in Maryland? Born and raised, born and raised. Yeah. Cool. Uh, And uh, okay, so I'm going to hop right into this, right? We had been communicating via email. And I believe or or in our in in the Facebook group or something like that. And I believe that how this happened is you uh, either reached out to me or sent me a message or something saying, hey, do you know of anybody within the program who has ever been in a cult? Because I grew up in a cult and I'm looking for somebody with that particular kind of experience. Did, did I describe that right? That's correct. So that kind of caught my interest. Uh, I don't know as if I have ever talked to any, I don't, I know for sure I've never talked to anybody on Sober Speak uh, who's been in a cult. And uh, I don't know if I've ever really talked to anybody in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, even though I'm sure I probably have at some point over the years who have grown up in a cult. So why don't we start there, talk a little bit about your background. We'll work our way forward up into Alcoholics Anonymous, but uh, why don't you give us a little background of yourself and your family and what was that was like? Sure. So like you said, um, I grew up in a cult. And when I say I grew up, I was born into it. My parents were both members of this organization. And um, really, do we want to say the name of the organization? I will leave that up to you. Okay. So um, yeah. So um, you know, I kind of define a cult by a few things. And one thing is that you're very much fear-based. So um, you're taught fear from to the extent that if you leave the organization, there are a ton of consequences. Uh, the organization is Jehovah's Witnesses. And so if you leave the organization of your own will, um, you are no longer spoken to by any member of your family, any member of your friends. You are shunned, you are put out, and that is the end until you make a decision to come back. Um, so when I say that I grew up in this cult, um, I was really taught to fear everything because, again, that's how you keep members in a cult, right? A lot of people are familiar with Leah Remini and her Scientology uh, TV premieres. There was so much that resonated with me with that um, because there are lots and lots of similarities. There are some there are some differences, but there are so many similarities in how they treat their 
members. Um, for me, uh, it was a fear of everything. I was uh, taught to fear God. So different than my relationship with my higher power now, my relationship with God then was to fear him in so many ways. And I was afraid. I was afraid of God in so many ways. I don't know how anyone could ever be close to a God that you were taught that much fear. Um, I was taught to fear Armageddon. Uh, it's a very strong belief within the organization. And um, the fear of Armageddon, the fear that everyone around you is going to die, everyone that you, you know, doesn't belong to the cult is going to be killed. Um, fear, fear, fear. So um, I remember when I was very young, um, I, I wanted to go over to a friend's house for a sleepover. And of course, that's not allowed because you're not allowed to sleep over at anyone's house or, you know, have any friendships with anyone that's not in the cult. Really? Yeah. So what's the, what is, so they're afraid that if you go over, you may be kind of, uh, uh, influenced. The well may be poisoned, influenced. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I had this little girlfriend, I was in second grade and, um, she was my best friend and she wanted me to come over and I was not allowed to. And so, you know, in my young mind, I wanted to pray for her because I thought, you know, I don't want her to die. She's my best friend. And my father asked me why I was praying for her. And I said, well, because I don't want her to die. And he said, well, that's, that's very nice. And that's very kind. But unfortunately, her, because her parents aren't in, you know, our religion and believe what we believe, they're going to die. So, you know, at a, from a very young age, you're taught that pretty much everybody around you is going to die. And you don't know if that's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year. So it's just such a fear-intensive society. And when you're raised in that kind of environment, it just triggers all sorts of other issues, obviously, related to fear. Very interesting. So you're, you're, when you said that Armageddon and everyone's going to die, so it basically sounds like either you're in and you're with us or you're on the outside looking in. Do I understand that, that correctly? That's totally, totally it. Yes. Okay, so you said that there were a few things that that uh, distinguish a cult uh, from other organizations, so to speak. You mentioned fear there. Did, did you touch on the rest of them through, throughout what you were discussing? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's, there's quite a few things that they can distinguish a cult, and it's not by my definitions. It's kind of like the universal definitions, but um, one is, you know, how they treat their members when they leave. One is how they keep their members within the cult. Um, you know, do they, do they, is it fear? Is it punishment? What, what is it that they do there? And then the other is some sort of doomsday prediction, right? So some sort of... Um, not necessarily an end of the world scenario, but that's usually the the factor that they you know use to kind of keep you fear based. So, have you ever heard? Uh, and I've heard this throughout my you know time in Alcoholics Anonymous, and you can even find it on the internet. You know, people searching up is AA a cult? And so that's very interesting that you know uh, you or somebody who has actually been in a cult, and then you're an Alcoholics Anonymous. So uh, basically, you have both sides of that story. And so when people ask you, is AA a, is AA a cult? What do you say to them? Generally? Absolutely not. And, and for me, the big the big factor is that whole thing of how you treat members who leave. So, you know, we don't want to see anybody leave AA because we want them to have the solution. But if someone chooses to go out and drink again, we don't 
shun them. We don't look down upon them. And if they come back, we're happy to welcome them back. So it's a choice, okay, versus in a cult, you don't have the choice and you have repercussions for making any choice other than the one they tell you to make. Wild. Okay, so you're growing up in this cult, and uh, did you have brothers and sisters? Yep. So um, I did, and um, my I had one brother, and then my mom died of cancer after a long battle with cancer. She died of cancer when I was about twelve, and um, my dad remarried very, very, very soon thereafter. Um, another Jehovah's Witness. Another Jehovah's Witness. Yep. Um, and then they had two kids and then, so there was, uh, she had two kids from a previous marriage and then together they had two kids. So all in all, there was six, six of us. Um, and you know, I had a, I had a tough upbringing. I wasn't, I wouldn't call myself a rebellious teenager. I'm sure, I'm sure I was viewed that way, but I wasn't really a rebellious teenager. I, I just kind of didn't, didn't go with the flow. I just didn't like this. I didn't like the cult. I didn't like my stepmother. And so teenage years weren't easy, but I didn't get into any trouble. I did run away from home a number of times because I did not feel like I was where I belonged. Um, so I did run away from home. My brother also ran away from home a few times. We had a tough, tough father. He was, um, I would say he was physically abusive. Um, and, you know, the cult also teaches very much a male dominant society so the while the women have rights they don't hold any leadership roles they don't they they're supposed to do whatever the man tells them to do and that's kind of the, the hierarchy in the organization as well so when i picture a cult sometimes i picture like you know people out on some camp somewhere who are secluded from the rest of society and they have their own rules and regulations but was this where you were living actually within a traditional neighborhood, so to speak, and then you would just hang out with people in the cult? Yeah. So this was um, not like a cult with a plantation or something. This was, uh, you know, you live in your own home, but they segregate you from society with rules. So you don't, you're not physically segregated, but you are mentally, spiritually segregated. And, you know, like I said, from a young age, you're, you're told not to associate with people that are not of, not of the religion and et cetera. Okay, so you had several brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. and then um, I, my question is, did they end up leaving the cult? And I haven't even gotten to that story yet, but apparently at some point you got out of this cult, but did any of them leave the cult as well? So I left... Um, I married very young. I left. Uh, I married somebody that was kind of half in, half out of the cult. And it was really kind of like my escape route, I guess you would say. Um, and at that point, it was a very short, uh, abusive marriage. So that was very short term. And at that point and is when I made the decision. Uh, I was 19. Okay. Yeah. Um, made the decision to leave and was told by my father that if that was the decision that I made, meaning to leave the cult, that I would be dead to them. And, you know, did I understand the impact and the result of my decision, the consequences? And, you know, I said, yeah, but I think that stinks. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just choosing not to do what you've, you've chosen this for your life. I just am not choosing this for my life. 
Uh, but you know, it was probably a period of about four to five years where I had no contact with my family. And when I say that, I mean, you know, remember that I grew up in this organization, so I had no real relationships outside of the cult, right? So when I chose to leave, I wasn't, my mom was already gone. She was passed on. Um, my father wouldn't talk to me, my stepmother, none of my siblings, my aunts, uncles, cousins, and everybody within the church that, you know, I had grown up with and, and you know, been, had relationships with my whole life, they were all shut off to me. And how does that, how was that communicated within, within the community? Had you seen other people leave before you? Oh, sure. Did, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, people. And, and, and what do they say? Like, okay, Suzanne's gone now. If she reaches out to you, you're, you're going to be punished if you communicate with exactly, her? Exactly, exactly. The term that they use is called disfellowship. And exactly, you are not to speak with, communicate in any way with this person. And if you do communicate, you're subject to being punished as well. Wow. And is there, is there any leeway given? In other words, if Suzanne had decided like one year later, like, you know what, I, from my perspective, I made a mistake, I want to come back in. Is there some sort of way to get back in? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I did. I, I was lonely, right? I was lonely when I left. So it was about two years later, maybe. Um, I did. I decided, well, maybe I should go back. If nothing else, I'll have my family and I'll just tolerate the other stuff. So I did make my way back, so to speak. Um, um, stayed in for a very short period of time. And, you know, at that point, my eyes had been opened. You know, you can't, you can't unsee things by that point. So I, by that point, I came back and I was like, this is, this is just crazy. And I, I just can't do it. So um, I ended up, you know, leaving fi- for the final time. And um, yeah. Was it harder or easier the second time? Um, I think it was easier just because I had at least started to establish relationships with other people through work. Um, you know, I had made friends at work. I had made friends, you know, just neighborhood, what have you. I had started to make other relationships. And eventually, some of those relationships turned into my family. You know, they, they, um, I have a, two people that I ended up working with that eventually they turned, they, they turned into, you know, like my parents, they were people that became very important in my life. And I've been friends with them for, I guess, 25, 30 years now. Wow. Yeah. And what about the rest of the brothers and sisters and cousins? Is there anybody who left permanently? Eventually all of my siblings followed me out. Um, which, wow. You know, really? Yeah. I'm grateful. Now for that. is that, is that unusual or yes. is that? Yes, it's imagine. very unusual. Um, they they all had their own reasons or, you know, whatever. But eventually everyone left the religion. And then one of my brothers went back uh, just about 10 years ago now. Uh, and he's been in for, ten, he's been back in for 10 years. But other than that, all of the other siblings left. My, my father has remained in it. My stepmother's still in it, but um, they're older now. Okay, so do you have any idea how this affected your dad and your stepmother? Were there any ever conversations regarding that? Well, they're very, um, I, 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 you know, this, this term might be a little harsh, but I'm not sure of a better term. They're very self-righteous about their beliefs. 
And if you've chosen the path you've chosen, then they feel very um, self-righteous that the consequences, the fact that they won't communicate on any regular basis with you is justified. So um, there's certainly not a lot of demonstrated um, remorse on their side. And, you know, my father many, many times would say to me, you know, you know, you could still come back and, and not, and, and, you know, live a, live an eternal life versus the life that you're going to die for. And it just, you know, but. So, so the ultimate, um, punishment is that you're going to go to hell basically. Is that what it comes down they, to? Is they don't, hell? they don't believe in hell per se. Um, they believe that when you die, you're dead. That's it. That's the end. Uh, they believe in a resurrection and you're not going to come back in the resurrection. So it's, again, there's a lot of nuances to the belief system, but at the end of the day, you're, you're out, you're dead and that's it. You're, you're, there's no hope for you. And what's the deal with the American flag? I've heard something about the flag and being patriotic is a no, no. Yeah. There's, you're only supposed to be loyal or devote, have devote, to God, not to a flag, not to a country, not to whatever. So very, very strict, very uh, rigid, rigid religious beliefs. And, and when you're, you're using the term God, is it, is it based on Jesus Christ or is it uh, some other general God? It's Je- so they're Jehovah's Witnesses and they believe in Jehovah God. Okay, so I've never researched this. Yeah. You can tell. So, <laughs> so it's a Jeho- So it's not Jesus Christ, then. Is that correct? They believe in him too, but that's his son. Okay, so it was his son, and he is not uh, like the son of God, so to speak. Or he is. He is. I, he is. It's it's a it's a different than the Trinity. Let's put it that way. It's like there's God, then there's Jesus, and yeah. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so. At some point here, alcohol and or drugs entered the picture. Uh, Was that early on? Was it after the fact? I would say it was pretty early. Um, Alcohol entered the picture, you know, probably right about the time that I left. You know, I would say 17 was when I first started to drink. And I thought, oh, this is awesome because this just kind of numbs away all of the paranoia and the fear and uh, but I wasn't an al- I wasn't drinking alcoholically. It was definitely though um, a very cultivated coping mechanism. So uh, I u- definitely used alcohol when I left the religion. It was the coping mechanism. It it numbed all of that fear, all of those feelings, being shunned, being outcast. But again, I don't think I was. I don't. I wouldn't think that I was drinking alcoholically by that point. But I was using it as a coping mechanism. So. Certainly not a, a healthy way to live at that time. Do you remember what your first drink was? By you know what? I don't. Um, I mean, I know it was beer, um, but I don't. There's nothing memorable about my first drink, and I didn't drink when I was very, very young. So, um, alcohol didn't become a problem for me until I was in my 30s. That's when it really started to take off. And was there any particular event that prompted that? Um, no, I mean, I drank heavily in my 20s. Again, it, it was my go-to coping mechanism. Um, but in my 30s, you know, I had 
I had um, gotten pregnant. When I got pregnant, I, uh, I was actually 30. And I was like, oh, well, I can't drink while I'm pregnant. Like I knew that. So I put down the alcohol. And then once I had my son, I realized, well, it's really hard to drink when you have a, you know, a baby or a toddler running around. So I didn't drink. I didn't not drink specifically, but I didn't drink because I just had too much else going on being a mom. And so... Had you remarried at this time? Yes. Yes, okay. I was. And um, my former husband was an alcoholic and he had actually quit drinking. He had no program. So he had quit drinking, but he wasn't very happy. <laughs> um, so me not drinking was kind of like, oh, well, since he doesn't drink now, I won't drink. And I've got a toddler running around. So I'll just do, I'll just do that. Um, and, you know, then we started having problems with it within the marriage. So I, you know, you start having problems and you have a coping mechanism that you've built in. So what do you do? You go, oh, let's go back to that. So that, that's how it started back up. And at that point, I would say I was off to the races. Um, so how long did that continue? So that, that, that's, that's kind of like a 10-year cycle here. Um, I went through the divorce, um, pretty much, you know, drinking to cope with all of those issues and feelings. And um, when I really, really started to see the trend towards the bottom was when I um, switched up from beer to wine. And then I switched up from wine to boxed wine. <laughs> and, you know, you know, you know, you're really high class when you go to boxed wine because it's so much more economical. And it's right. so much easier to hide because, you know, you can tap that wine and nobody knows how much you've had and you can put it in the recycling bin and there's nothing clanking around in there. And then you can pull out <laughs> another box from the cabinet and nobody knows any difference. So that's when <laughs> that's right. drinking really took a, a whole new level. Okay. So, and no, so you've gone through your divorce with your, with your uh, second husband there. Uh, and then you have one child. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Is the son with you at this point? Yeah. Well, he split, he was split custody at the time. Yes. Yep. And then uh, your story is continuing. In other words, you are uh, continuing to uh, imbibe and uh, it's getting a little bit out of hand. When did the thought of Alcoholics Anonymous start to uh, enter your brain? Um, about 10 years ago, uh, I, knew that, I knew that I had a drinking problem. Um, I knew that I was drinking too much. I was starting to have a few blackouts at that point. Um, and, you know, some consequences, but nothing, you know, no, none of the stories, some of the stories you hear, I wasn't having trouble with the law. Although I, um, I would say I wasn't um, having trouble with the law. It wasn't that I wasn't breaking the law. So, you know, I was certainly doing all of the things that people do that experience consequences, but I was sliding through by the skin of my teeth, as they say. 
All right, we will be continuing our conversation with Suzanne in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at SoberSpeak.com. You can also find the donate button there on our website. Uh, If the Spirit moves you to use use it, you can. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listeners, Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, institution, or cult. (laughs) We do not wish to engage in any uh, uh, controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right. Now back to Miss Suzanne. All right. So before we move on to your sobriety and your entree into Alcoholics Anonymous, is there anything else that you want to cover uh, before you got to AA? No, I mean, I think that's it. You know, the the only thing I guess I'd, I'd want to cover is that um, when I when I first came into AA, which was about five years ago, um, And one of the things that makes me so passionate about newcomers is I first came in and the first meeting I ever went to, I don't know whether I looked up the wrong meeting or I just ended up at the wrong place, but the first meeting I ever went to uh, was full of heroin addicts. And maybe it was an NA meeting. I'm not sure. Again, I don't know what happened there, but I didn't feel like I could relate to those folks. Um, The second meeting that I went to... um, Everyone was talking about God and doing a lot of God, God, God talk. And I was really um, was really put off by that because, like I said, I had been taught to fear God. I had been taught that God was um, very angry at us people down here. <laughs> so the God part really, like, scared me because uh, I, didn't, I didn't think I could do AA if God was involved in it. And then the third meeting I went to, somebody approached me, a man, and um, – told me that he wanted to get my number and that we should go grab some dinner, some coffee. And I was like, I I don't want to give you my number. And I don't, I don't. So I went to three meetings and I didn't come back. And I swore to myself that I would never, ever check out AA again because I felt like I had done three meetings and I didn't like it. So I stayed back out there for five years. And in that five-year time frame, and I wrote, I wrote this down because I, <laughs> I, I wasn't for a lack of trying, but let me just tell you some of the things that I did to quit drinking. One was I bought a sauna. <laughs> now, I told my husband that it was to lose weight, but really what it was was to detox after a bad hangover. So I had a sauna in my house specifically for the purposes of detoxing after a bad hangover, which were happening, you know, three, four or five times a week, right? Um, I bought books. I bought quite a few books and the titles of these you'll probably get a kick out of, but one of them was How to Quit Drinking One Drink at a Time, (laughs) Um, How to Diet for Sobriety. So this book talked about the foods you needed to eat to stay sober. And then another one was how to drink socially. So, uh, you know, I was looking for the answers and people were actually making money off of me buying these books, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I talked to a doctor and I got aunt abuse and uh, I had my own experience testing how quickly that worked. Um, Did it work well? uh, It worked so well that um, my husband would say to me, I would turn all red I, I would turn bright red and he would say to me, did you take that pill again? 
because <laughs> I had been drinking, right? Um, I tried a program called Women for Sobriety. I called a program called Smart Recovery. And I also sought uh, an intensive outpatient program. And none of those things worked for me. Surprise, surprise. So right. that's all the things that I tried before I came back to AA. Right, and th- that's what we always say, uh, you know, in AA. It's it's the last it's the last house on the block. You know, when people come into AA, you always see them coming in to get their uh, papers signed, right? Like we're the last house on the block. In other words, we don't send them from AA to go get their paper signed somewhere else. Right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. My husband and I, but you know, you'll get a kick out of this. My husband and I have started to play this game. Um, have you ever seen Jeff Foxworthy, the comedian? Yeah. The, the redneck yes, guy. Yes. The redneck guy. And he says, you might be a redneck if, and then he gives you all these scenarios, right? Well, I play this game called you might be an alcoholic if, right? And like one of my ifs is you might be an alcoholic if you're drinking on a boat, you fall off the boat, you get hit by a boat, and then you get back on the boat and keep drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've got plenty more where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's great. <laughs> All right, so uh, so that's kind of a uh, a summation, if you will, of those five years uh, learning what doesn't work, so to speak. Uh, you went to those three meetings. Uh, you had uh, some bad experiences with those, and uh, so and you started to say this is one of the reason that I'm. Um, how did you put it? You were talking about the newcomer because of these experiences I had on the front end. You're passionate about the newcomer. Explain that a little I, bit. More. I just I feel that. Uh, when we are in a room and a newcomer is there, which is so often for most of us, you have to remember that everything you say, every action, they're 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 absorbing that, and this is their this can be their first time in a meeting. So for me, it's so important. I try to always get around to the newcomer, welcome them, you know, ask them what they liked, ask them what they didn't like, whatever. I think that. If we could all approach our meetings remembering that this is a newcomer who's very, very new to the program, maybe taking away little bits and pieces and make sure that we send them away with the best piece of us possible. That to me, that's, you know, that's what brings them back. Yeah, it's that one-on-one connection. And that's why, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, hey, I, I appreciate that you will listen to Sober Speak. But if you have the uh, choice between listening to sober speak and actually going to a meeting and greeting a newcomer and saying hello to somebody, I would much rather you go to a meeting. Yeah. And you know what, John, you know, those first three meetings, uh, you know, people say this all the time. Maybe you weren't ready. Maybe it wasn't time for you to come in. That's probably true. Could be true. But I will tell you that when I did come back and I went to my first meeting back, right, five years later, that first meeting back I was welcomed. I was greeted. A woman came up to me. She just embraced me, told me she was so glad I was there. And, and I was like immediately hooked, like, oh, oh, this is what I've been looking for. I'm, this is it. <laughs> oh, that's great. That is, that's fantastic to hear. Uh, and so, you know, if people are listening out there, you know, I would say 
think about what you can, how you can greet a newcomer next time you're That's in a meeting. It. You know, what you can say to them, you know, how you can make them feel welcome and, you know, not to creep them out. Right. Uh, Attraction attraction versus promotion, right? But that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. All right. So you got back in this next time. And so that must have been in 2018, right? Mm -hmm. When you uh, came back in again in August, excuse me, October of 2018. So... So, you know, I want to talk to you about a couple things, but the main thing I want to talk to you about is your conception of God and your, I would would guess, some sort of level of agnosticism or whatever you want to call it coming into the program and being gun-shy for very good reasons. So you're coming in and you see those steps on the wall. You know they're going toward God. What was your thought? My thought was... Uh, I really don't know if I'm going to be able to do this because the the whole God thing freaked me out. Now, yeah, I don't know if I was agnostic at that point. I, you know, I don't. I'm not quite sure what I was. I believed in something. I believed in a some sort of spiritual connection. I believed that you know my mom had died many years earlier and that she was out there maybe watching over me. But um, I was really afraid about the whole God concept with AA. And when I talked to my sponsor about my situation and my background and my fears, she said, look, we're going to get to that when we get to step three. For right now, you talked about maybe your mom's out there looking out over your shoulder, what have you. For right now, just let her be your higher power. And I said, okay, all right. Is that okay? I can do that. And she's like, there are no rules here. And I was like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> so um, by the time that I got to step three, um, that's what I had been using. And then when I realized that I really could make a higher power, that I was okay believing in. It, it wasn't structured by some religion or cult. I could just make it what I wanted it to be. I embraced that. I was, I was just so, well, I was so welcome to that open concept that, Okay, if I could believe that God's loving and not angry, if I could believe that God is actually wants to help me as a person and he's not this being that's like regimented and rule driven and he's going to kill me if I don't do the exact right thing, you know, if I could if I could structure the opposite of what I had always been taught, then I was really cool with that. Like that was the first time that I had given been given that kind of opportunity and openness. And man, that just really freed me. What was your fourth step like going through it? Do you remember that? Your fourth and fifth step process? I had a lot of resentment towards the cult, um, towards my dad, um, towards my parents for being in the cult. Like, you know, a lot of resentments. And, you know, honestly, I've got to rework my steps again here in the near future. And that'll still be on there. Like, that's not... Even though I've gone through the fourth step and the fifth step, that'll still be always something that I'll be working, you know, my program will always be working that. But the level of resentment, the level of uh, anger, it's far, far removed from where it was, you know, even a year ago. And it's all because of this program. Right. Just one step at a time. Yeah. Do do your brothers and sisters know that you're in Alcoholics Anonymous? They do. Um, They're quite supportive. Um, My my one sister in particular has just been my little my cheerleader. Um, My the rest of my family is is not 
they're not not supportive, but they're, you know, they're like, okay, whatever you're choosing to do, that's cool. Um, now you asked about earlier on about the, the cult. Um, they do not typically support AA. Uh, because it's, again, it, it's kind of in competition for your time and your attention, right? So their belief is you don't need AA, you just need the religion. So they don't typically support their, their members going to AA or being a part of that. Um, now there are... So if somebody goes to AA, are they shunned in some form or fashion? They're not. But they're, you know, they they kind of look down upon you and say, "Well, why are you? Why do you need to go do that? You should be able to find whatever you need here to get sober." So that's kind of the mentality. So, like, I had to recently go go visit my father to take care of some health issues with him, and because he and my brother are still in, you know, the the cult, um, I don't even bring up AA because it would just be a point of contention and it would be an issue. So, uh, I. It's just not even worth dealing with, you know, but because it is, it's, they've got their rules, man. <laughs> do, do they notice any sort of uh, difference in you by any chance? Uh, my guess is even if they did, they would not want to say it. Right. Yeah. And my, my brother won't, still won't speak to me. So I'm down there having to deal with my father, but my brother is only communicating with me to the extent that is absolutely required related to my father and, you know, some health and, and financial issues. So. And so they're, they're, they're still basically shunning you for leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. Is that mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How sad. Yeah. What would you say, besides overcoming the cult, uh, is the biggest challenge you've had to overcome in sobriety? Um, you know, for me, I think it really is just the God concept. Um, once I was able to overcome that, the rest of the steps and the rest of my recovery, uh, has I would never say it's been easy, but... It's, it was the concept of God and the concept of being able to believe in something that was, you know, that I was comfortable with. That, you know, that was the biggest challenge. Once I got that part and that third step, you know, the, the rest was just like, yeah, I felt like I had, I felt like I had truly been um, reborn. I mean, I hate to use that term because that connotates more of a religious thing, but you know what I mean? Completely. Yeah. And you're right. The, the term reborn does have some sort of negative connotations, yeah. but it says it in the big book. And it's just talking about being reborn spiritually. Exactly. You, you know, you could say, I have a, a, a different kind of life or a new kind of yes. life, or I, I am not the same person I used to be. It's all the same thing, but uh, um, I get it. Um, what about your sponsor? Right? I, I've heard you talk about her a little bit. Why don't you tell us what her name is and say anything you want to say about her? So when I first came in, and, and this is another point that I like sharing with newcomers. When I first came in, I got a sponsor immediately because that's all I heard was get a sponsor, get a, get a home group, get a sponsor, get a service position. So I got a sponsor the first week I came in and she was a wonderful lady. Um, but I think that I knew myself in, and my my path enough to know that I needed somebody that was going to hold me more accountable. Um, maybe, you know, give me a little more structure. So um, she was my sponsor for probably about the first 30 days. And then I met my current sponsor named Erin. And as soon as I met her, I knew that she had what I want, you know, 
Um, and I asked her if she would be my sponsor. She said yes. And, you know, I was so scared about, uh, this is another thing, I don't think it's written in the rule book, right? But I was so scared, like, how do I tell my old sponsor that I want a new sponsor? And, uh, you know, I texted her and I said, you know, I thank you so much for being part of my journey. And I've met someone who I think is going to carry me forward through the next phase of my journey. And she was so graceful. She was so kind. And she was like, I'm so glad that I could be here for the first 30 days and good luck. And, you know, I thought, man, that's, that's, this is just awesome. Like it's, it's these God shots where you just go, wow, this is really cool. And she was so graceful. My new sponsor, Erin, was everything that I needed. Um, and she's still my sponsor to this day. And, you know, they say, one of my favorite sayings in AA is if God wants you to know something, he'll tell your sponsor first. <laughs> and, you know, when I have problems and issues and questions and whatever, I call her and, you know, I know for a fact that what I'm hearing out of her is exactly what I need to hear and that it's, it's you know, some sort of divine inspiration or whatever you want to call it, but it's always the right message. So I, I really believe in good sponsorship. That's great. If uh, God wants you to know something, he'll tell your sponsor first. <laughs> I love tell that, me right? A little, right. Speaking of my sponsor, uh, he's, he has uh, asked me to ask guests uh, what they actually, since you brought it up earlier, a service position, it reminded me of that. Uh, he wants me to ask people what they actually do in their group nowadays. So uh, can, you, can you talk a little bit about your service position or positions and what you do in your group? So I am officially the greeter in my group which means I get there about a half hour before the meeting starts and I greet people as they come in the door. My home group is a women's group. Um, so most of the time, if everyone's uh, uh, amenable, everybody gets a hug when they walk in. And if I, I usually, if I don't recognize the face, I'll say, are you a newcomer? And if they say yes, then I try to go introduce them to a few other ladies. So that's my official job. But because I do get there early, if for any reason the chairs need to be set up or the coffee needs to be made, then, you know, I'm game. I'm in. So is there anything um, that you would want to share that may be a little uh, unusual besides obviously you've been <laughs> cult in the past uh, <laughs> uh, that, about yourself, uh, maybe something people would not know about you? Um. No, not really. I can't think of anything other than my sponsor says that we call them God shots, you know, when you get those moments when you just know that it's not a coincidence. And my sponsor says that my God shots are out of this world. You know, I, I just I have a few God shots. I love to share God shot stories. Um, one, one of them was that just like, just like so many people in the program, my biggest desire when I came into the rooms was to quit drinking. And I kept hearing people talk about their obsession being lifted. And I thought, boy, that'll never happen to me because I, my obsession's so strong. And it took me so long to get here. And then about five weeks into the program, I woke up and realized it was gone. And my, the fact that my obsession had been lifted that, that quickly, that quietly, that dramatically, whatever you want to call it, that was, that was really a big surprise to me. I just don't. I just don't know how, the, or, you know, I just, 
that was crazy. So that was one thing. Another quick, funny story. Um, I here in uh, Maryland, we have a place that we go to on Wednesday nights and um, it's a beginner's meeting. And we were, we were at the beginner's meeting and we were talking about step one being powerless and unmanageable. And again, I was, I was four to five weeks into the program and people were sharing what it meant to be powerless and unmanageable. And in the middle of the meeting, in walks this guy who is drunk as a skunk. You know, he's stammering and walking sideways. And I had never been in a meeting with anybody, you know, walking in like that. So I was like, wow, this guy's really, I guess he's in the right place. But boy, he's, he's, he's off his rocker here. And they continued to talk about powerless and unmanageable. And he sat down for a minute. And then he got up and he yelled at everybody, you know, because he's drunk. And then he walked out the door and I turned and I looked at my sponsor and I said, I forgot what powerless and unmanageable look like until he just walked in. And I, you know, that was like a really wonderful sign for me. Like if you forget what powerless and unmanageable looks like, that's all it takes is one, one drunk to see another drunk. Right. Um, but one of the God shots was I was, we, we had a dinner party at our house and this was when I still had the desire to drink early on. And of course, um, we had wine and, you know, I, I wasn't drinking, but I said to my husband, he was leaving to go out of town. And I said to him, can you get all the wine out of the house so that I don't drink while you're gone? And he said, okay. So he took everything out. And for the whole week, I called my sponsor every morning and every night to make sure I didn't have any slip ups. And he came back after an entire week and he walks in the front door and I open the refrigerator to see what to cook for dinner and there's a bottle of wine. And I said to him, what, did you, did you put this bottle of wine in here? And he said, honey, I just walked in the door. I haven't even gone to the refrigerator. What are you talking about? That bottle of wine had been in there the whole week, but I never saw it in that whole week being in and out of the refrigerator until he got home and in the door and I could hand it to him and tell him to get it out. <laughs> Um, I, I went to a meeting one time where I was struggling a little bit with step six and seven, and I went to a meeting where a woman just happened. My sponsor said, you need to get to a meeting. You're struggling right now. Go to a meeting. So I got up and left the house, went to this meeting. And what, you know, the lady talking talked about step six and seven. And after the meeting, I went up to her and thanked her for her, her share. And she said, honey. You need to go get that book, Drop the Rock. And I said, oh, really? And so I left there and I went and got the book and I went home and read it and it was life-changing for me, truly. Oh, very nice. But again, you know, it was one of those things where I just happened to show up to a meeting I never go to. They were talking about what I needed. I ended up getting that book and it was life-changing. So I just, that's the part of the program I love. Ah. God bless you. God bless you. That's great. You know, I haven't read that book myself, but maybe I need to pick it up. I've heard about it. I hear it talked about in the media. It's excellent. uh, All right, Suzanne. Well, listen, this has been a very, very pleasant conversation. I had no idea really where it was going to go. I had, you know, an idea of the subject we talk about on the beginning, but uh, this has been uh, um, very, very intriguing. Is there anything else you want to add before we uh, wrap this up here? You know, I, I would love to is, you know, I think that one of the, one of the analogies, I'm a big person that I love, I love pictures in my mind. That's how I process things really well. And 
I think we all come in here with baggage. And, you know, my baggage is, of course, my growing up in a cult. Um, but, but there are so many stories in the rooms that we all know, and we all get here with a certain level of baggage. But, you know, one of the things that I always like to say is that that's our, that's our book, right? That's our story. We all talk about sharing your story. But you can choose to read your story You can choose to go back and look at all those chapters. For me, for most of my life before AA, I would read that book over and over. Oh, poor me. Oh, you know, this is what happened to me. And I would read those chapters over and over and over. And what I found when I came into AA is that putting that book up on the shelf was a good place for me. Because everything's still there. I'm I'm not forgetting the past. I'm not forgetting the history. It's still there. And if I want, I can pull it back down and I can go back to those chapters and I can read them and cry over them and whatever. But the better place for me is to put the book back on the shelf and to write the next chapter. Because for me, the best chapters of my life have been written in the last six months. And those are the chapters that make me happy and that make me know I'm in the right place. And, you know, to be 50 years old um, there's a lot of chapters that have been written, but to think about the fact that the best pages in my book have been once I found this program, once I found a sober life, that's, that's kind of sums up what I think about being sober and having this life. Ah, oh, that's great. You are a breath of fresh air. Uh, you have uh, a very unique story, to say the least. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. It's unique in some ways and very similar in others, right? Like you said, everybody has their story. But um, I'm hoping that through this, we'll be able to connect you with some other people who have actually uh, grown up in cults. Uh, you can reach out to me if you guys want to, and I'll make sure that Suzanne gets that communication. Is that okay with you, Suzanne? Absolutely. Love it. Well, God bless you. Thank you for spending time with me. I'm going to wrap it up uh, by reading page 164 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. These are the last two chapters in the book, and it says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God which is very apropos for this particular uh, uh, episode. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Miss Suzanne, Namaste. I'm doing a little namaste hands here. Uh, And uh, thank you so much for joining with me today, okay? Thank you. So what'd you think about that? To me, it was and is and continues to be a fascinating journey. Thank you once again, Suzanne, for joining me on the podcast. And uh, if you want to get in touch with uh, Suzanne, Uh, Or if you want to get in touch with me, not only about Suzanne or any of the other guests that we have on the program, or if you just want to reach out in general and say, hey, I'm at John, J-O-H-N, at Soberspeak.com. All right. So now on to some listener feedback. And first, before I get into some listener feedback, I just want to say one quick word about an episode I did with Ken H. It was... 
I don't know, a couple of months ago or so now. And rarely do I hear from my sponsor uh, with any sort of uh, constructive criticism, if you will, regarding uh, the various uh, episodes that I record. Uh, but he did call me on this one. Hello, Bob, if you're listening. And uh, he, we had a discussion about cussing and how appropriate cussing is or isn't in Alcoholics Anonymous. And anyway, we went off on a tangent about that. And uh, my uh, sponsor uh, is a self-proclaimed uh, redneck and a self-proclaimed uh, cusser, and he's proud of it. So he thought it best that I avoid that subject in the future. So if you heard that episode and you have an opinion on cussing, you want to send it to me, I'm more than happy to hear it. But I know there are two sides of the story. I'm not going to go back and rehash the entire thing. So, all right, now on to listener feedback. And first thing I want to do is provide some comments that we had in our secret Facebook group. And I think I said this on the beginning, but just in case I didn't and you want to be part of the secret, the top secret Facebook group uh, that you can't find from just searching uh, because of, uh, it's all for anonymity basically is what it comes down to. But if you want to join it, just send me your email associated with your Facebook account to John, G-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and I will be happy, more than happy, to send you out an invite. We would absolutely love to have you as part of the community. It's a bunch of like-minded folks who are just there trying to support each other. You don't have to be an alcoholic in order to come into the group. You can be in any form of recovery or just sober curious. All right. Anyway, I asked a question uh, in the Facebook group itself, uh, asking for experience, strength, and hope with the fifth step, uh, because this is the fifth month, and a lot of the meetings are on the fifth step at various groups that you go to throughout the country. Well, not only this country, but all the 50-plus countries that listen in. I'm assuming that's the way they do it in all the other countries as well, but I'm not sure. Uh, Anyway, Jim posted... He said, John, it took me about a week to write my four-step. The process brought out, brought forth such emotions that I could not think about all of those people and the issues for more than a couple hours at a time, too emotionally ringing. But after reflecting and writing daily for about a week, I had it done. My ex, and you see that folks, he got that done in a week right? Even though he didn't want to do it, and even though it was emotionally ringing, he got it done. All right. So anyway, my ex-wife was on there. My daughter was on there, my former bosses, and the entire U.S. Army. And I was surprised about, uh, about how much my dad was on there, who was an alcoholic and died 30 years ago this month. And my mom was on there, who has been gone for 21 years. Finally, I finished my four-step writings and met with my sponsor, and we did step five. And he listened, made a few comments, and uh, I am very appreciative of him, to him for that. I have to say, though, that when it was over, I didn't feel any weight off of my emotional shoulders. It was not cathartic, as I have heard so many describe in your podcast and in AA meetings. I wondered what I had done wrong. So I went to the big book, and on page 75, it says, Returning home 
we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done, and carefully reading the first five proposals we ask if we have omitted anything. So I did that, and I reread step four, and I found something that I had missed before. There is a step four prayer back on page 64 under step four. It says, we turn back to the list for it held the key to our future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle, the list that is. This was our course. We realized that people who had wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick, though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, like ourselves, they were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended ourselves, we said, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. John, this step for me was the most important part of steps four and five, to acknowledge that others on my step four list really had their own issues going on and deserve my understanding, not resentments, and that they deserve my prayers and to pray to God to save them, save me from my own anger. This acknowledgement and prayer was the most, ex- most significant and cathartic moment for me. Well, Jim, there are tons of good lessons in there. Uh, And I so appreciate you referencing the big book and using it as your guide uh, on pages uh, 75 and page 64 and everything that you read in the book. uh, That was absolutely fantastic, Jim. You summed that up uh, just uh, fantastically. I, 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 I sure do appreciate you writing in. All right, going back to the Facebook group again, the secret Facebook group, Philip from Sweden and Sue from Massachusetts both wrote in concern, concerning service work. Okay, Philip posted. Now, keep in mind, Philip is in Sweden, and he said, I just got home from an AA service convention. It was so much fun, and I learned a lot. Service is also recovery. Smiley face and a thumbs up. And he says, thanks for the group and for the podcast. So I saw that. I love the post. And I asked Philip if he could give some specific examples of what he learned at that AA service convention in Sweden. And he said, I have learned about the structure of the upside down pyramid, the importance of service, spreading the message to both alcoholics and others, how they may come in contact with an alcoholic. The responsibility I have whenever, wherever someone else asks for help, I want AA to be there, and for that, I am responsible. And then Sue saw that, Sue from Massachusetts, and she said, we had our weekend service meeting two weeks ago. It was about responsibility and availability. 
Our group reads the I am responsible at the end of every meeting every week. And just in case you don't know what that is, it is a uh, I am responsible mantra, I guess. And it says, I am responsible when anyone anywhere reaches out for help, I want the hand of AA to be there. And for that, I am responsible. I hope I got that right. I'm doing that off of memory. But anyway, um, Sue said, it's an important reminder to reach out and to be available whenever anyone reaches out for help. Our hands and the hands of AA must always be there. I am so proud of my group for making this a priority of our group members. And then Philip from Sweden saw that and he said, that's so good. I'm going to start reading that too at the meetings. Thank you so much. So that's what I love. I love the communication, the camaraderie, uh, everyone getting ideas from each other. I just absolutely, absolutely love it. All right. Now, I also have to say uh, in the Facebook group, we put up a post about the recent uh, Jerry J episode, and I talked about that on the beginning of this particular episode. But if you haven't heard it, I would go back and listen to Jerry J right now. Just drop everything that you're doing and go back and listen to Jerry J. But uh, Jim says, I listened to this one, Jerry J, twice in a row. As soon as it was over, I hit rewind and listened through again. Powerful message and great storytelling. Great pick, John. Thanks. Well, you can thank my friend again, Mr. Tony D, because he's the one who picked it out. I just happened to put it up on the podcast, and I'm so glad that Tony found that. Um, Dave wrote in, and he said, this was an amazing lead in so many ways. And if you don't know what lead is, uh, it's just a term that's used here. Mainly, I think, in the North States in America, sometimes in actually California too, but nonetheless, it's where whoever gets up and, and, and tells their story. But anyway, he said, this was amazing lead in so many ways. Thanks for sharing it on the podcast. Love the podcast week in and week out and a double thumbs up. Thank you, Mr. Dave. I appreciate it. Cassandra S. wrote in and she says, that episode, Jerry J., really went deep for me in many different ways. Listened to it yesterday while I was working and I plan to listen to it again today at work. So much in all cap letters, good stuff packed in there. Thank you for airing it on your podcast. Well, thank you for listening, Cassandra S., and you are quite welcome. All right, so now let's just look at some tra- traditional uh, emails. So Joe writes in regarding episode 77, Sue S., called the tip of the iceberg. And he said, hey, John, I just wanted to say that getting sober for me after 44 years of drinking was also just the tip of the iceberg. The connections I have made with others in the program of AA is where my true strength and hope come from. I feel God working through all of us together to keep us spiritually fit and emotionally strong, to walk through this journey together. Connection is the key. God bless you, John, Joe D. Well, thank you, Joe. And I passed on your comments to Miss Sue S. And she was very appreciative 
of those. Uh, Sue writes in from Canada, the Great White Tundra. No, is that what it is? No, the Great White North, excuse me. The frozen tundra. I guess the frozen tundra can be anywhere up there. But anyway, from the great white north, the great country of Canada, Sue writes in and she says, Hello there, John. I have been in Al-Anon for 10 months now. Um, I have found your podcast and, and have listened to a couple of your shows with your, de- with your guest, David G. on the steps. The guests are authentic and wise. I have great respect and gratitude for this opportunity to listen in. Thank you. I would like to be added to your Facebook group to learn more about the alcoholic side. My name is Sue, and I'm located in oh, Canada, Gana uh, Gana Oak or Canada Gana Oak. I don't know what it is. Uh, it's a. <laughs> I'm sure I am butchering that to no end, Miss Sue. But I'm so glad you're listening to us. And she ends it up with "Thanks for all you do," and thank you, Sue, for listening in. And I'm so glad that you found Alan on. Brian writes in, and Brian says, I live in Metro Detroit, and I'm married with four kids. I was a bartender for 13 years, and I was a stereotypical restaurant worker, drunk, alcoholism runs on both sides of my family, and I took took to it like a natural. Things probably got darkest around 2007 through 2010. There were lots of dark times along the way. I've been in some form of recovery, moderation, abstinence, or whatever it was for about eight years. I go 40, 60, 90 days, but then always end up going right back to it and regretting it. I want to be done for good. Boy, I bet a lot of people can relate to that, Brian. I I joined my first AA group Tuesday night. Great. And have been listening to to podcasts as much as I can in between. I will have two months sober tomorrow. Yee-hee! Yeehaw, Brian! Um, That is fantastic. I look forward to the group here, and I love your podcast, my meeting between meetings. Well, God bless you, Brian. Keep me posted, and I'm sure glad that you found an AA group. All right. So two people wrote in on our podca- our Podbean app about Gary K. There is a solution, episode 69. Once again, if you hadn't seen that, do yourself a favor, go back there and listen to it. And they said, great nuggets of info, listening again to take notes. Thank you so much for providing the podcast. And somebody else wrote in and said, awesome message from Gary. And just so you all know, folks, I have talked to Gary again, Mr. Gary Kay, and we have agreed to get him back in here to do some more recording. It's just between his schedule and my schedule, working it all out. Uh, But Mr. Gary Kay will be coming back on the podcast. Okay, so everything that I'm about to read from here on out is from Instagram. Uh, I've not been as caught up as I should uh, with Instagram. Um, I just got to some of it this week. And so here we go. On Instagram, Nancy writes in and she said, just started listening to your podcast. So good. I am a member of Al-Anon. 32 years next month. All right, Miss Nancy. My goodness, that's a long time. Also, 
Excuse me, I listened to The Recovery Show. That's where I heard about your podcast from Spencer. Thank you for your service, John. Okay, a long story short here, Mr. Spencer from The Recovery Show. If you happen to know that particular podcast is going to be... uh, uh, have an episode here with him and his bride, actually, him and his wife, who has never been on his podcast. So we'll be featuring Spencer here, uh, I think about three weeks or so. I just have to get caught up to it, get edited. I've already got it in the can, as they say here, in the business. I guess I'm in the business. I don't know. But nonetheless, uh, Spencer will be on the podcast soon. And Nancy, thank you for writing in. Samantha writes in. She says, Hey, John, starting treatment. For the first time on Tuesday, one month of rehab, and I will be listening to the podcast during that time. Smiley face, thank you for this. I just heard a clip you had from Megan H. Uh, That was called Megan Takes a Holiday uh, from Alcohol and Drugs. It was about four or five episodes back, and she said, been listening to her for years since she was with a radio station in the Bay Area. I'll be taking it from here one day at a time. Oh, God bless you, Samantha. One month of rehab for the first time on Tuesday. I hope this is your first and last time of rehab, and please keep me posted, and I'm glad that Sober Speak can be a very small part of your your recovery. Maggie writes in, she says, Hey, John, just found your podcast a couple of days ago, and I'm really enjoying it. Shared it with my sister as well. Thanks for what you were doing. Well, Maggie and your sister, if you're listening, I'm glad you're listening, and I'm glad you found us, and I'm glad you're enjoying it. Thanks, Maggie, for writing in, and give your sister my best. Chris writes in, on Instagram once again, and I just had to read this one because he said, over a hundred days sober now. Well, that's fantastic, Chris. I'm so glad that you, you, my friend, are a hundred days sober. All right, Stacy writes in. She says, good morning, John. My name is Stacy T. I'm from Ventura, California. I am working every day on myself. I am able to listen to your podcast all day. It is really a huge tool for me. I'd love to be part of your Instagram and Facebook pages. My email is such. Well, I, I'm probably not going to read that on the air. Uh, we will save you from that uh, <laughs> uh, from that besiege of besiege. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, if you, if you got a lot of uh, emails out there, I'm so sorry. My mind is blanking. And so, anyway, you're going to get this recording because I don't want to go back and do the whole thing again or edit it out. But nonetheless, she says, uh, I have 25 days today. I, I'm hoping this is my new normal. Oh gosh, that is fantastic. I work hard in every part of my life. I'm so happy to add this uh, to my new healthy life. I absolutely love you oh, and all you do. I'm grateful for all I have today, Stacy T. Oh, Stacy, uh, love you too. And I'm so glad that you're on a new path and that we can be part of your journey. All right, Georgia 
writes in, and that's Georgia, J-O-R-G-A. I hope I am pronouncing that right. Uh, And she says from Australia, thanks, John, truly enjoying the program. I am in Australia. Well, thank you from there down under Georgia. I'm so glad you wrote in. And finally, last but never least, Megan with an H writes in and she says, I listen to the show daily and I love the show, John. Thank you for your service with a big old smiley face. Megan, thanks for writing in. Thanks for listening. I'm so... I'm so glad all of you guys write in. I mean, you give me juice, you give me gas in the tank, you give me life. And, you know, I I realized that when I recorded the first part of this, I took a break in between recording. You know, I got a little um, emotional, a little verklempt, I guess is what they would say. And I thought about going back and re-recording that, but I said, you know what? I am who I am, and, uh, um, and, and I don't want to hide that. I want you guys to be vulnerable, so I want to be vulnerable just as I ask you guys to be and just as I ask the guests to be. So, all right, to all y'all, that's what we say down here in Texas, goodbye, love you, <laughs> thanks for listening in this week. I'm going to try to get an episode out next week. I think I can. Uh, we shall see. I just take it a day at a time, a week at a time, and God bless all of you. Take care.